This is AgriPulse Open Mic, brought to you by Robbo AgriFinance. Robbo AgriFinance is a leading provider of financial services for agricultural producers and agribusinesses in the United States, adding value with industry expertise, client-focused solutions, and long-term business relationships. The Robbo AgriFinance nationwide network of relationship managers, insurance and risk management specialists offer a comprehensive suite of services, including loans, crop insurance, and sophisticated risk management products such as interest rate and commodity swaps. Robo AgriFinance is a division of Robobank, a premier bank in the global agriculture industry and one of the world's highest rated privately held banks. For more information, contact Robo AgriFinance at 888-722-7766 or visit us online at RoboAg. Mr. Lucas, welcome to AgriPulse Open Mic. We appreciate you being our guest today. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm sure you've told the story many times, but how did you start out as a truck driver and then progress to becoming the owner of a worldwide business? I it's just crazy. <laughs> but I I started out, you know, working my way around from the time I was a little bitty kid I worked. You know, everybody had to work back then. And, uh, and I was 18, I bought my first truck, a dump truck, and I drove it during the day and worked at a factory during the night. I finally saved up enough money. By the time I was 21, I was able to buy a semi. And I did not intend to be a long-haul truck driver all my life. I was going to go out and make a whole bunch of money here and work myself to that for a couple of years, sell the truck, and then have money buy a gas station or something where I could at least have my own goodness. Unfortunately, I, I, I made money. But my first wife could not stand the prosperity, and as it happens a lot of times, she she booted through all the money, and eventually I had to divorce her and start all over again. But I uh, I started accumulating more trucks. And my first, my second wife was a fantastic lady, a very good business person, and she willing to work right along beside me and do whatever we wanted to do. And I started accumulating trucks. And we were running mostly coast to coast, but the deserts in California were just killing us in the heat. And uh, I started trying to find some kind of oil, different oil, to make something that would stand up to the heat. And having not been to oil school, and there is schools you go to for your for the chemist to learn how to do these things, I did not know that what I was planning to do would not work. So with an open mind and a mechanical mind, because I've overhauled these trucks. I said, I got overhaul trucks, I got overhaul hydraulic systems, and how to make transmissions work to all these things. I started making better oil, and I got to a certain point, and I thought that was about as good as it could possibly get. It was pretty good. And then I blundered onto something that really was fantastic. And and I eventually found a guy who de- designed the product, and he was working for a big oil company, but he was out in the world doing other things. So he told me that everything I was using it for was what they made it for, but they found other things for people to use it for. So to my knowledge, I'm the only one. Not, I'm quite sure I'm the only one using any oil business, but that has been our sort of our secret sauce. We had to make special equipment to uh, to 
develop it into the oil, but now we we made something that you put in your new vehicle and you never wear it out. You put in your old foot stuff to stop it from smoking, stop from overheating, put in your gearboxes to cool them down and keep them wearing out. Put some of them fuel. We went from four and a half miles to a gallon to five miles to a gallon. And now we, we make a whole range of stuff now, all kinds of motor oils, racing oils, uh, boat oils, greases, a lot of specific stuff. We're problem-solving company. So. so that's, in a nutshell, that was it. And the best part about it, I had a pretty good knack for marketing. You know, making oil was one thing, but getting it sold was a big thing. I, I did not realize I had a player for that, but I, I'm able to put myself in my customers' shoes and say, this is what this guy needs. You know, i got to keep myself down to earth, you know. That it's easy for us to, with new cars to not worry about it, but you still got lots and lots of people out there with old cars needing a patch. Those patches is what is our biggest business, selling stuff to fix up things, you know. Automatic transmissions, we got we got a product out there that will fix your automatic transmission with slipping virtually every time, unless you just work completely out. And... That's like a three, four thousand dollar bill nowadays. Six automatic transmission, and most families, no family together, can't get that together. So, uh, I'd like to think we saved the world billions and billions of dollars over the years fixing power steering units. You put your efforts into the automotive industry, uh, from trucking to racing. For those people in agriculture, for those people who are over the road uh, hauling all the products that we use now in this country, what do you see as a future for? fuel efficiency, and, and cost of operating motor vehicles? We had the trucks up running real good, and the government got really involved in wanting to put on all these uh, devices for taking all the smoke out of the air. And I didn't think smoke was much a problem. We pretty much had already fixed that, you know, as, as a, the manufacturers. We went back uh, from up where we were getting extra trucks getting about seven miles to the island, and we went backwards down about five, and now we're slowly crawling out of it again, I understand, but the, the newer trucks, I don't want to buy them. They're, they're, it's really expensive, and and everybody else is trying to keep them by them if they can. So fuel mileage-wise, uh, if you stack up a fuel mileage and uh, attrition, the cost of attrition, natural gas, is going to have to be something that's very local. I don't see it for a long time being something you're going to run coast to coast on. What do you think of ethanol as a motor fuel? Well, I believe in in, in free markets. Ethanol came out in the 90s as gasohol. Uh, it was not very popular. It didn't last very long, and it went away. But that was on the free market. It came back in as a mandate. And... There's a lot of people made a lot of money off it, but it's done a lot of damage too, as far as to uh, the automobile engines themselves. And I'm not truthfully a person about mandates. You know, I, I like the open market thing, the concept of that. If it could stand on its own, I'd say power to it. But more and more people are turning against ethanol because there is uh, damage, especially to boat people. Uh, and the time you go to 15%, the government is, which is already proven that would be disastrous to virtually all the engines. And I really am against the government making us do things. Not my cup of tea at all. Mr. Lucas, could you uh, tell me about your foundation? I understand it has some relationship to land and agriculture. 
A foundation is called Protect the Harvest, and uh, it's a really hard tell all about that. I suggest somebody go on Facebook or go on the Internet, protectharvest.com, and, and really look at all. The animal rights extremists came to Missouri to uh, wipe out all of the dog breeders, but it would have taken out all animals, period, because in the Constitution, Missouri Constitution, they put in the word pet. A pet is anything that can live within 25 feet of your house. And uh, when HSUS was writing their bill down in the fine print, they put pet also. And then they put in all these things you'd have to be able to, the temperatures, you know, temperature ranges, you know, your pets would have to be within 65 and 85 degrees. Uh, there's so many an acre, and you could only you breed your animals twice, I say, every 18 months. All kind of silly stuff that would have just killed it. So I got out there. I found out about it from one of my cowboys just in time to get out there and uh, and run some ads. I had some of these boys that, that uh, really were expecting somebody else to come in and and fight these guys, but People we thought we were going to come in and fight, or they thought we were coming in and fight, come in and say, no, you can't beat these guys, don't do it. So anyhow, we came in, and and I know we have our own production company in California, but we didn't have time to bring them out. But these guys knew what to do. They worked for uh, the statewide lobbyist, and uh, they got the time by. And we did two days back and forth. You know, I had knocked this voice on the radio. I didn't knock this. This wasn't strong enough about smacking them in the face uh, on television. They'd spent about $7 million. I think I spent on television ads and three years, I spent $350,000 plus the cost of my guys. And uh, we took their popularity from 67% down to 51.5% in six days. That's all we had was six days plus election day. If we had another day, we could have uh, won. But we didn't have We didn't run in the major cities, just in the rural areas. But we won all the rural area counties, so it was a proposition as such. The legislature was able to take it and strip everything out of it, and that handed HSUS their first defeat. And that's the most important thing in the world right now. But what I realized from all that was nobody in the world was standing up to these guys. Nobody, not an organization, not anybody. So. That meant I had to because I knew who they were. I've followed them since they were back throwing paint on people in Europe. I saw what they did in California. I was living in California. Passed Proposition 2 out there and destroyed uh, processing, food processing house. And after that, they came in behind and did the pink slime thing, which is all a big lie. Knowing what I had, I knew I had enough name and enough money and knew enough about them and had enough guts to, to take them on. So we've taken them on. I've got uh, four guys working for me, actually six guys working for me now. And uh, we're stomping out fires right and left. We, I said we were going the offense, but we spent about the first year just on defense, you know. Now we're kind of getting on the offense. But we've done a, done a lot of things. We've already stopped them in lots of places, uh, North Dakota, of course, Missouri. Uh, we're trying to... Uh, just educate the whole world, get people to stop sending them the money. That's the main thing. Everybody thinks that HSUS is the Humane Society of the United States. And the first thing to think is, well, they 
can't be a bad. That's that's the humane society. Well, our government let them take the name like that. We have to educate people on the one hand, and uh, there's a lot of these groups. They are they're hand in hand with a lot of other groups that are trying to work on the GMO side to stop genetic engineering. That's one of the things that's the problem in Europe right now is uh, a lot eat our genetically modified food. We even went to Africa and Indonesia and places like that and got everybody scared to death to eat our genetically modified food. We could not live here in this country if we had to eat organic food. We could not nearly make enough food for ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with genetically modified foods. It's proven over and over and over again that it's, it's a good thing. But these are not ordinary thinking people and there's lots Lots of different groups. There's not a lot of them. They've, they've used fear tactics to scare the people, the politicians, and the press to death a lot of times when they got ways for 200 people to sit around in different places in the world and act like they're thousands of voters, but they're really not. As far as sit-ins and stuff like that, if you see something like that anywhere, it's just a bunch of hired bums. It's not their own people. There's, they're really not. HSUS is not a big organization. But it has a lot of money because they get all the money from these people thinking when they set poor old dog and poor old cat on television and they so sad song and it comes with an altar voice, they send the money. Not knowing that that is a scam. Basically what that is. But we ask everybody to go on the website and learn about it. And we are fighting all these things. The more we go, the more we learn. This this genetic uh, modified thing is a big, big, big problem. If our stores here, they don't want to have to have a big selection of products. You know, they want to have eggs. They don't want to have to have a dozen different kinds of eggs. And uh, we got to we got to get this cut off. We would already uh, wouldn't have eggs right now. Egg the egg production would be cut in half if we hadn't got involved. And that that's what would have started the heck out of poor people because if Rich people would go out and buy the egg, but it would be not be enough for everybody. So that means the bottom end would not be having eggs. And uh, chicken meat, of course, is, is equally cheap. That's that's one thing we've already got got stopped. We got out of the farm bill. We're just asking everybody to, to join in, get, get involved with us. Uh, you know, we're not asking everybody to send money. You know, we expect some of these people to send some money eventually. They've got millions to lose. But in the meantime... Educate everybody you can. Mr. Lucas, you are the most plain-spoken and informed person I have interviewed in quite some period of time, and I thank you for your time to talk with us. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on there anytime. AgriPulse Open Mic has been brought to you by Robo AgriFinance. Visit them online at roboag.com. I'm Ken Root.